Welcome to the second season of the Gutsy Health Podcast with Shanique Roney and Gina Warfel, where we share uncomplicated, practical, and affordable wellness education so you can be a self-healing champion. This episode is brought to you by the Gutsy Health Membership Program, a program that gives you inexpensive tools and resources to heal your mind, body, and soul. Visit our website at mygutsyhealth.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Gutsy Health Podcast. We have a phenomenal guest for you here. If you don't know her name, you might be living under a rock because we have JJ Virgin on the podcast and she has her own podcast, Well Beyond 40. You have seen her on TV shows, appearances on PBS, Dr. Oz, Rachel Ray, Access Hollywood, and the Today Show. She speaks regularly and has shared the stage with notable people like Dark Hyman and Seth Godin and Lisa Nichols. She's a New York Times bestseller. She has four New York. Is that correct? Four books. I have six books, four New York Times bestsellers. Crazy. And my biggest one coming next, honestly. That's it. Can you tell us about it? Or (laughs) is it a secret? It's not a secret. I wish I could keep secrets. I'm a big blabbermouth, so I've never been able Uh to keep secrets. Moreover, I'm so excited about this. I can't stand it, but it's not coming out until February, 2025. However, we've been doing A lot of the big thing with a book is there's so much work before the book ever comes out. You've been testing it with people, doing the programs, just like the Virgin Diet. There was an online program. I've been working with people one-on-one with that program. I'd been doing an online program before the book ever came out. So same with this. We're doing a challenge with it. We've got a commune course coming out with this. So we're doing a whole lot of work around powerful aging. And it's the selfishness behavior of I'm turning 60. And so I was looking at this going... My dad, I'm adopted. My dad passed away 20 years ago. My mom just passed away at 93. And up until a month or so before she passed, she lived independently. She lived in a house that you had to go up and down the stairs multiple times a day. She did all of her own housework, groceries. Even during COVID, we got in a huge argument because she was like, I'm going to the grocery store. I go, you're staying in the house, you know? Um, (laughs) And you start to look at that and go, okay, I had a dad who was big Swedish 6'4" dad who always was waiting for a ship to come in and then his life was really going to start and he lived the life he'd want to and his ship came in and he was in a hospital bed in my parents' bedroom, withered down to 150 pounds, dying of cancer. Contrast that with my mom. And here's the thing. He smoked. Mm. He ate horrible food. He was under ridiculous stress. He used to like go bring me butter for my cookies. I go, what? Mm. You know, he drank five martinis a night. He did nothing to help his odds. And then here's my mom who did none of that and went golfing multiple times a week, carried her own bag, walked, did all of her own housework and ate healthy. And so you look at this and go, I think we think that a lot of our longevity is our genes. And what the research shows is it's probably somewhere between 10 and 25%, which means most of what's going on in life is our choice, the choices we make, right? And so, you know, the choose wisely grasshopper statement, that's what I'm doing, right? So that's what I've been really obsessed with is, okay, again, these aren't my genetics, but I want to be my mom sliding into home, living a life well played, like I did her celebration of life for her and I, and people were like, oh, I'm so sorry. I go, I am, she lived her life exactly on her terms and literally when it was time to go, slid into home. And that 
that's how I want to do it. So what do we need to do to get there? Well, and I love that this is what you're passionate about because people don't actually realize you might be dying at 90. Let's take person A and B. Person A suffered for 30 years, was on medications. It was miserable. Like death would have been a welcome thing. Whereas person B lived a very fulfilled, like your mom just doing all the time. You don't want to be a slave and encompassed or jailed in a body that is sick. I own a wellness clinic. It's a very well-known wellness clinic. And trust me, being sick is not fun. It is, it's awful, right? It's something that you're managing every second of every day versus just living life and being and living to the fullest. And so what you want, and I love this mission is that you want people to live to the fullest until it's their time to go. And then they just go. They're a light bulb. I was listening to Peter Tia talk about this. He talks about the centenarian decathlon. Mm -hmm. And so you think about this and you go, okay, what do I want to be able to do at a hundred? And because if I want to do those things at a hundred, I better be training for them at 30, at 40. Like if I can't do them at 30, I'm not doing them at a hundred, like something magic isn't going to happen. And so I started to look at that and go, wow, you take everything for granted. And this is a great example. I was always the jar opener in the house. And then all of a sudden, I remember trying to open a jar and going, wow, that's hard and handing it over to my husband. And then as I'm looking at this research and looking at grip strength, which is a great predictor of overall strength as a top predictor of all-cause mortality. And I was never the person that gave the jar to someone else. And here I am, I lift weight. So if I have reduction in grip strength, what's happening to the person who isn't doing that, who maybe what they do for exercise every day, which I would argue isn't exercise, it's just what we need to be doing every day, is all they do is walk. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying don't walk. I think we all should be walking and moving a lot more, but I don't count that as exercise because you're not overloading your system and requiring it to get stronger. Mm. That's exercise to me. Walking is just like when people call intermittent fasting a 12-hour overnight fast. I go, no, that's normal eating. We used to eat that way. And then we got weird with all this fat-free snacking stuff and started eating 14 to 16 hours a day. I'm loving this rant. (laughs) I'm hoping I'd keep going. (laughs) It's so funny. You would love my dad. He turned 80 in January. So he's almost 81. And he just went down to St. George to compete in cycling races. And he got two gold medals and a silver. And he still works. He's 80. And he works like 10 hours a week. You know what I mean? He's just like this go, go, Mm -hmm. go buddy. And it's because he is active. And so I'm curious as to, obviously, nutrition is a huge part of it. But what are your top three things that I love that you say at the age of we should be investing in our health at the age of 30. What are the three things that we should be doing and really focusing on and making sure they are key components? Yeah. And they're really clear. When I was writing The Virgin Diet and we were about a month out from the book launching, my then 16-year-old son got hit by a car, left for dead in the street. And I launched that book bedside with him in a coma. And knowing then that that book was going to be the key to be able to save his life because a lot of what I was going to do wasn't going to be covered by insurance. So you sit in a hospital and you go, okay, I am not leaving. I got to be here for my son. However, he's in the ICU. I cannot have a sniffle. I can't show up sick. And I got to be game on for this book. What do you need to do? And I bring that up because you really look and go, what are the big needle movers? Because I think we tend to focus on little things And those little things may be important, but they may not even matter if you do the big things. So let's focus on the most important things first. And then once you've done all that, it's like you would never go, okay, I'm going to go buy a car and I don't really care what 
engine or battery it has. That doesn't really matter. But what about the rims? What color interior? You wouldn't do that. You know, you first have to know, is the car safe? Is it going to be right? And then you start to do the fun stuff. So same thing here is let's look at the biggest needle movers, because when you fix these, a whole lot of other stuff fixes. And when you look at what's going on now with less than 7% of the population being metabolically healthy, and I would argue it's less than that, because you look at the parameters for metabolic health, and I go, that's not metabolically healthy. Triglycerides of 150 or less, I don't consider metabolically healthy. I think it needs to be more like 75, right? Blood pressure of 120 over 80, I think it should be 110 over 70. This waist measurement for a woman of less than 35 or less than 40 for a man, no, it should be less than half your height in inches. So when we look at this, the reason I bring this up is a lot of these parameters that we think, okay, I'll just go and lose weight and that'll get me healthy. The reality is we've got to get metabolically healthy, be able to to hold on and build muscle and lose fat. And we got to stop using weight as a metric because you can have be 150 pounds and be a skinny fat, Mm -hmm. right? Or you could be 150 pounds and be ripped and lean. And there, you don't know unless you unpack what that weight is made up of. So the very first thing in looking at any of this stuff to me is to go get a DEXA body comp scan and see where you're at. That's step one, because you wouldn't ever say, you know what, I really want to go to New York next week and try to book a flight if you didn't know where you're starting from. That wouldn't make any sense. You have to know your starting point. And so that's the first place for me is I teach people to go get a DEXA scan and then I'll share the three things and tell you a funny story. As I was working on, I got fired up about my 60th birthday, decided I was going to get into the best shape of my life. Now, generally at 39, I went and did a DEXA scan and I was 13.9% body fat and I weighed 154 pounds. At 59, I went to get a DEXA scan and I weighed 154 pounds. I was 13.9% body fat, exactly the same, which is wild. My husband came with me. He did a body, he did a DEXA. Now women have about 10 to 15% body fat. And what we really need to look at, it's actually not the body fat that's important. It's how much skeletal muscle you have and what your visceral adipose tissue is. And I've always been a very lean person. So genetically I'm leaner than most, but really let's say you had 20% body fat as a woman or 25%, but no visceral adipose tissue, you'd still be, that would be fantastic. My husband had 25% body fat. That was wild because men have three to 5% essential fat. So all of a sudden I'm looking at this going, holy smokes. So the stuff I'm going to tell you is what I got him to do. And the reason I was able to do that, now he's always been healthy, but he was doing about 80% of what he needed to do. And as we age, 80% is not going to cut it. You need to be getting an A. You could go for an A minus, but you can't go for a B, right? You really need to be Mm -hmm. pushing this. And so knowing that starting point where you can actually see with a printout your skeletal muscle, how even it is, your body fat, your visceral adipose tissue, you can see it all. And then you can go make a difference. In six months, he put on 19 pounds of muscle, dropped 20 pounds of fat. That's amazing. Incredible. So what did we do? The three big rocks, nutrition. But within that nutrition, as we age, we start to have something called anabolic resistance, where our muscles don't respond as well, both to amino acids and to resistance training. The stimulus doesn't work as well as it used to, which means you have to push more than you did, unless you've continued to be active, in which case you don't have that big deficit that you'll see with someone who's, say, been eating the recommended daily intake of protein, which is about half of what we need, and not doing resistance training. So 
We shifted his diet, number one, to making sure that he was eating protein optimal for his body. And I have people do that at about 0.7 to 1 gram per pound of target body weight is my goal. So he started eating a gram of protein per pound of target body weight, and he had to eat four meals a day in order to do that. So one of the reasons I bring this up is there's been such a push towards fasting and intermittent fasting and eating one meal a day. And if you are 30 plus, now there's places, diets are tools. We want to choose wisely and use them in the right places. If someone's morbidly obese and highly insulin resistant, this can be a great tool. But if you've got 20 pounds to lose, you want to hold on to and build muscle and you've got normal blood sugar, this would not be your tool. This wouldn't be your hammer because this will accelerate muscle mass loss. So he was eating four meals a day, optimizing protein. And the mantra I have in diet is to eat protein first. This is so huge because I think that one of the biggest questions that we get is especially women, they have this really huge pressure of I should only be eating what a lot of men recommend, which is like one meal a day or long-term fast and not understanding those metabolic consequences that you're talking about, that you really need to preserve that muscle mass. Right. So there's a couple things here. If, so, if a woman's in her fertile years and looking at optimizing fertility, it's clear fasting's not your friend, like clear data right. on that. But let's say you're past that now, now you're 40 plus. Well, what do we know? We know that we start to lose muscle around age 30, right? Three to 8% a year, 30s, 40s, 50s, doesn't have to be. But if you are not actively doing overload resistance training, more than what your body's used to, because if you're doing the same old, same old little Pilates class, it's not going to cause muscle hypertrophy and muscle strength gain. You got to do more than what your body is used to. But then if you're trying to put on muscle, you have to give yourself the amino acids from protein that it needs. And you can't do that. You can't do it in one meal a day. You likely can't even do it in two meals a day. And there's interesting research that I just saw where they were showing later day fasting. So the intermittent fasting where they were skipping and only eating like lunch and dinner or only eating one meal a day, they actually were accelerating muscle loss and their body was holding on to fat. The exact opposite of yeah. what you want, which is why you've got to be monitoring body composition. Now, obviously, you're not going to do a DEXA every week. So I have people do a DEXA every six months. And then have a body biopene scale at home so that you can take your trend each week. You do it every day. You have a Bluetooth into your phone so that you can just track the average over a week because you're looking for trends. You know, mm -hmm. if you watch your weight every day, it can make you crazy because you'll have fluid fluctuations. But what you really want to see is the trend over time. Am I continuing to drop body fat? Am I continuing to put on muscle? Mm -hmm. Because you want to make sure that's the right trend. And if you're losing weight, but you are losing muscle, not fat, you just made yourself worse, not better. And that's what we got to mm -hmm. avoid. So you said protein and starting with protein, you emphasize yeah. that. So here's, I know there's a lot of push through glucose goddess work on eating your vegetables first and for blood sugar control. Here's the thing. When you do it with protein, you get the same effect. When you eat protein first, you ensure that you actually get it in. There's an interesting hypothesis that these bug researchers out of Australia discovered looking at, I think it was locusts, where they discovered that these locusts would continue to eat and overeat carbs and fat in order to get enough protein in their diet. And then they were able to translate that over. They did animal studies, showed the same thing. I just think of when I've gone to vegan restaurants and I always feel overly full and still hungry. You know, it's like I didn't get what I needed. 
But what I'm looking for is to ensure that you get optimal protein, not enough. Think about what the recommended daily intake is. It's to ensure that you don't have any frank deficiencies. It's not optimal by any sense of the word. And as we age with anabolic resistance, you need more, not less. And appetites tend to go down. And so in order to ensure that you get enough, you start by eating protein first. The cool thing about that is protein, when you look at how you can affect your daily energy expenditure, we have your basal metabolic rate, which is basically dictated by your age, your sex, your thyroid function, and how much muscle you have on you. And then you have your daily energy expenditure, which is going to be that BMR plus thermic effect of food and activity both non-exercise activity, thermogenesis, movement, and exercise. We can affect somewhere in the 5 to 15% range can be affected by the thermic effect of food. And protein is the big driver there because somewhere between 20 to 30% of the calories that you eat from protein are used in the digestion and assimilation of it. Contrast that with zero to 3% for fat and five to 10% for carbs. So you've got a bigger thermic effect. It is the most satiating of the macronutrients by far. And great research showing that when you eat protein first, you tend to make better food choices overall, plus better blood sugar balance. We have a seven-day protein challenge that we do. The whole thing is you're going to figure out how much protein you need based on your target body weight. You're going to divide that focusing on your bumper meals, breakfast and dinner, because you want to make sure you get 30 grams minimum of that based on Donald Lehman's work on leucine trigger for muscle protein synthesis. And that's animal protein. If it's plant-based, you're going to have to push it more like 40, maybe 50 grams. And those are minimals. But breakfast and dinner, breakfast because you're stopping the muscle protein breakdown that happens from an overnight fast, dinner so that you're delaying the muscle protein breakdown. But when you eat that way, what we found in this seven-day challenge, because the whole focus was eat protein first, track it on a tracking app, and then also track these symptoms. And what I didn't expect to have happen, I figured people would have better focus, better energy, they wouldn't be hungry. But the biggest one I was expecting was hunger and some energy because better blood sugar balance. The one that I saw the most of was cravings are gone. Mm -hmm. No cravings. Probably because of that protein leverage hypothesis piece. I've always hypothesized that women tend to crave more sugar and carbs because they're not getting the protein levels in that they need. And that's what's this one week, the number one thing I saw from all these people going through it was that piece, like how crazy. So that's the first lever and the first rock. And one of the things I teach people is if you've been eating a low protein diet, which the average woman gets somewhere between 40 and 65 grams a day. So probably half of what they need, like minimum should be hundred grams and at least 30 grams at those bumper meals. But if you've been eating a lower protein diet, I always have you start with protein digestive enzymes and bringing that titrating the protein up because your body hasn't been used to it. So it's going to take a little bit to get your digestive enzymes going again. I'm so glad you said that because a lot of people avoid protein because they say they can't digest it. And then they say, my body just doesn't like protein. And it's like, that's absolutely not true. Your body needs protein. It's just, you don't have enough hydrochloric, like our digestive enzymes start to actually diminish at the age of 35. And so we should be taking digestive enzymes like into our 40s, 50s and 60s. And hopefully your own digestive tract will kick that on. But if you're having an issue with protein digestion, yeah, I'm so glad you mentioned that like digestive enzymes will make or break you like they can. Absolutely. And this idea that my body doesn't like protein, you can live without carbohydrates. Doesn't mean it's the best way to go, but you cannot live without protein or fat. You've Mm -hmm. just taught your body like our bodies are very adaptable to whatever we're doing. 
but that doesn't mean it's a good thing. Right. Again, enzymes for the win there. What a difference. Yeah. Can I ask you a question about this while we're on it? If people are having a hard time getting in protein in the beginning and they're starting digestive enzymes, are you okay with people getting in like protein shakes? Like they can I love protein, protein shakes. I do them Perfect. every day. I think protein shakes are just one of the easiest, greatest things to mm-hmm. do. Now, do you have a preference with like plant-based versus whey, what's your favorite? People are going to want to know. So when I wrote The Virgin Diet, it was because I was doing food sensitivity testing and working with the lab teaching it. And the challenge was like 70% of the people's tests I saw showed it was dairy and egg intolerances over and over and over mm-hmm. again. So I always assume that's an issue until you know otherwise. Right. Either by doing the virgin diet, elimination diet and challenging to see, or by doing a food sensitivity test. If you know that you do not have a dairy intolerance, whey is amazing. It's amazing. Great leucine. One of the things that you'll get with animal over plant is you will get the right balance of the nine essential amino acids. When you move into plants, you don't get the balance the same as you did with animals. Mm -hmm. That being said, with so many dairy intolerances, the two that I tend to recommend are I do a bone broth shake. It's a grass-fed beef bone broth shake, and it's about 80% collagen. Mm -hmm. Now, Collagen's got amazing research for ligaments, for skin. However, it does not have the balance of the nine essentials like whey would have. Now you're going to get some from the beef, but I also have people, and I think this is a smart thing to do. Like my other one that I'll do is a pea-based shake. But I also think that when you're 40 plus, it is very smart for you to add in an essential amino acids product. Like I take one every day and I add in my electrolytes and I take it to the gym. So I know Mm -hmm. that I have what I need on board. Mm -hmm. Just like a safe insurance policy to do. So that's the other piece of it that you can do too, or especially like I've had people going through surgery and I always kick up their essential amino acids just to make sure we have what we need on board. That's another thing that you can do as you're bringing your levels up so that you can get what you need if you're having issues first getting it all in. But literally, I think for so many of us, it's just because you weren't paying attention to it or tracking it. And once you get that food scale and you start to track, Mm -hmm. big shifts. It's interesting that you mentioned people in surgery. My nurse practitioner who works with like very ill people, he will refer all of his clients to all our nutritionists and health coaches and say, you need to get them eating at least 100 to 130 grams of protein before they can see me. He's like, if they're not eating enough protein, they're not going to heal. Their body is going to stay inflamed. It's not going to have the resources necessary for tissue turnover. It's so, so important. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Dr. Peter Adia, who wrote the book Outlive. Yeah, Peter Atia. He was the one I was talking about the centenarian decathlon. Yes, that's right. That's right. Sorry. So he, in his book at live, he talks about nutrition, but he says the number one tell of if you're going to live long is your muscle mass, right? Right. If you have enough muscle, you are going to survive, right? Like you have a higher chance. As Gabrielle Lyon says, it's the organ of longevity. And when I look at muscle, like right alongside the protein intake. And if I've got someone going through surgery, like I just had to have a hysterectomy, I cranked my protein up to one and a half times my target Mm. body weight. But the other one that's really important there, especially for women, is creatine. Women have 70 to 80% lower tissue stores of creatine than men, especially women tending to do more Mm plant-based. They're not going to get the creatine from their food. We only make about a gram. So creatine, I think, is one of the most Mm -hmm. important supplements women can take. And here's the thing, because I've been getting hammered on Instagram with DMs about this. 
It is unlikely women will gain weight with this, but if you do gain weight with this, a pound or two, it's intramuscular rather water. It's water coming into your muscles. This is fantastic. If that happens to you, I wish it happened to me. Celebrate it. Like you want this. Yeah. Creatine makes you, first of all, it helps with skin health. It helps with brain health, but it makes it so that you can work out harder, recover better. And it's great for bone health. And this is why we really have to monitor our body composition, because if you can get your total body water up, it's a great thing. We store carbohydrates with water in our muscles. We want to have that intramuscular water. And I literally have had people freak out because they gained a pound. If you gained a pound of muscle, would you be happy? Like, are you, you right. know, what age would you start creatine? You think 30? <laughs> if I was an athlete and hopefully all girls are athletes, right. I'd be on it the whole time. I think everyone talks about it for the guys. It's actually more important for the gals. And what's even more important is for us to rethink the way we look at a scale. We had to have this hysterectomy. I go in the doctor's office. They put me on a scale. I go, I cannot believe in 2023, we're getting on scales. We're still doing scales. I, can't, yeah. I just it's feel ridiculous. like I need to give you a lecture. This is so <laughs> stupid. It's just ridiculous, right? I mean, it's ridiculous. What does this tell you? Nothing, right. nothing, nothing at all. What if I'm this way, which now I'm 140? What if I'm 140 and I'm 35% body fat? My BMI would be 19, but that wouldn't make me healthy. Right. I would be like normal weight obesity, but we can't tell these things unless we actually look. I had a client come to me years ago and weight was totally like, I never did BMIs, but it would have been somewhere in the 2021. Did not need to lose weight, wanted to lose 10 pounds. She was fluffy. That's all. Her body fat was like 25%, 26, mm -hmm. something around in there. And I'll tell you, the norms I was given in doctoral school are totally different than the norms now. Somehow we've gotten to the point where we can have higher body fat and be healthy, which I call total right. BS on, mm -hmm. right? I'm like, that is just not true. So mm -hmm. back then the norms were 18 to 22% was ideal, could go up to 25%. So she was somewhere right in that 25%. And so we worked for a year on this and she didn't lose any weight. She went down, it was somewhere around 19% body fat. She dropped two clothing sizes, looked amazing. Was so upset that she hadn't lost any weight. Isn't that crazy? And like, but you mm -hmm. lost. It was literally like the I dropped 10 pounds of fat, put on 10 pounds of muscle, yeah. complete muscles, metabolic spanks. It's holding everything in tighter. Plus, it's a sugar sponge. First place we can start to restore insulin sensitivity. We now give carbohydrates a place to land in our muscles rather than on our belly. It yeah. is so mission critical. It's the thing that's going to protect us as we age. It's going to help with our bone health. Like everyone's worried about bone health. Just worry about your muscles, then you won't have to worry yeah. about your. A hundred percent. Do the weight training and you're yeah, going to do the weight training, which is my next pillar. My yeah. next okay. Pillar. And it's funny, I'm getting ready to tape another exercise program. We actually built a new addition on the house to be able to do this at home. <laughs> I love and it. I was really looking at digging into the research because I actually quit my PhD in exercise physiology because I ran out of classes to take. Because back <laughs> then, a hundred years ago, there was no exercise endocrinology. There wasn't like, there's only so much. And now there's so much great information out there about about hormonal effects and fast twitch, slow twitch. And here's what happens as we age. By the way, this idea of slow twitch and fast twitch, they need new names because what it really is, is like, when are these things recruited? Like, you know, you have these slow twitch muscles that really help us all throughout the day. They're not easily fatigable. They're more aerobic. And then we have fast twitch, which is really much more for hard explosive movements, easily fatigable. As we age, we tend to get higher levels of slow twitch, 
lower levels of fast twitch, we lose our fast twitch muscles, fibers, which is why we can't shift out of the way as quickly from something. We can't catch yourself from a fall. And when you look at what we lose over time, they say it's up to 1% of your muscle from the ages of 40 to 60, up to 2 to 4% of your strength, 6 to 8% of your power, which by the way, supposedly starts to double 60 plus. So when I look at it and go, what's important for us as we age? I see three things that we need to monitor. Number one, that grip strength, which is a measure of overall strength. Number two is our power, so a vertical jump, right? And number three, get up off the floor without using your hands. Holy smokes, is that hard? Like do this and try to get up off the floor and don't cheat and just roll up onto your knees and step up. And boy, that's no easy feat. But if you think about it, then how do you create an exercise routine that helps you increase strength and power right? And so it really comes down to the right types of resistance training. And that's why I got blasted on social media. And I'm going to say it again, so they'll probably get blasted again, that walking is not exercise Mm -hmm. because it's not overloaded. It's controlled falling. It's You're doing nothing to tax your cardiovascular system. I'm not saying not to walk. I'm saying we should be walking more and more. We should be walking all day long. We should be moving. Just living. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's part of what you're daily living. Right. walk as much as possible and track it to make sure that you are doing that. But when you're going to work out, push past what you're used to. So your body has to adapt to that. That's what exercise is, is doing more than what you're used to. And then your body when you do get to the next pillar, recovers, restores, repairs, and mm-hmm. builds stronger than it was before. But if you don't do something more than it's used to, it doesn't have to do that. Right. And so when I look at exercise, and especially resistance training, it has to be heavy. It has to be within certain rep ranges. And then I also want to throw in some power moves. And that could be something if you're very deconditioned, where you're doing a push-up against the wall, and you push off the wall. It could be something where you're getting out of a chair and you jump out of the chair, like you stand up and do a little jump hop, like anything to start adding back in that speed and power, because that's the stuff that we lose the most. And then if you start to fall, you can't catch yourself. And then you fall and you break a hip. And then if you're 65 plus 30% of the people like never recover from that and die within a year. And that doesn't have to happen. So that type of thing. And then for the cardio training, I focus solely on hit and sit training, high intensity interval training with some Mm -hmm. sprint intervals in there too. So working the different aerobic anaerobic systems where you're doing like 10 to 30 second bouts, then a 30 to 60 second bout, and then maybe even a two to three minute bout, but hard, breathy, your lungs are on fire, your thighs are on fire, you can't carry on a conversation, then you recover. And the greatest way to train your cardiovascular system is to go all out and your your sympathetic nervous system, and then let your body recover. So you get hit, recover, trains your really good training for your heart, right? And really good training for your body to learn how to handle higher levels of stress as well, which as we age, cortisol comes, tends to go higher. So it's a great recovery thing there too. So basically get uncomfortable, like get Mm -hmm. uncomfortable when you're exercising. Get very uncomfortable. Yes. And we tend to, as we age, we do less. And as we do less, we do less. And then we do less, right? And you look at it. And I remember early on, I was in a workshop. My All my master's degree work was in spinal biomechanics. And I was at some aerobics workshop where they were teaching us safe abdominal exercises. And they said, never extend your spine if you've got any kind of back problems. And I go, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard. Don't work your back (laughs) muscles if you have a back problem. I'm like, so you just want us to do all forward flexion, work our abs, but never work our back, create total muscle imbalance. Mm -hmm. Now we're super weak on the back. If we didn't have a back problem, we'll have a back problem. Right. If you look at it and go, 
if you want to age well, you better be able to do squats. You better be able to do dips. You better be able to do pull-ups and bend over rows because you're going to have to pick up groceries. You're going to have to push yourself out of a car, mm-hmm. off a toilet. And if you don't train for these things, guess what's going to happen? I can't do any well of that. <laughs> right? You're going to be like, you're going to have to call someone to get you off a toilet. I don't yeah. know about you, but that is no. not in my longevity game plan. I have a quick question for you because as we hit our 30s, I love how you say start in your 30s and start investing now for your 60s, 70s, and 80s. But in our 30s, I know sex hormone has a lot to do with muscle mass, building muscle, longevity, and health. Do you endorse bioidentical hormone replacement therapy to help women anti-age and to stay on top of their hormonal game? Hell yes. Game too. So I here's too, actually. Amen, man. I just was doing a talk at a big women's group and this woman came up to me afterwards and she goes, I've really been trying to work through all of this naturally. I've been five years postmenopausal. I'm doing all this stuff and nothing's working. She goes, because I'm not going to take hormones because it's not natural. I'm like, first of all, and when I hear this, they're like usually taking 12,000 supplements. What's natural here? And early on, it was when I was in my 30s, I was working at one of a doctor's office going through lab tests with patients and then putting them on diet and exercise plans. And before they said anything, I could tell if they were on hormones or not, purely by their cardiovascular markers. The women who were not on hormones, and you hear these women still misled by that horrible women's health initiative that had had the total misinformation, which I've put on my podcast now, multiple experts disproving all of that crap. Mm -hmm. But women are still worried that they'll do this and get breast cancer, despite the fact that 50% or more of us die of heart disease. Mm -hmm. What happens when estrogen, testosterone go low, estrogen protects your brains, your bones, your heart. And you just see all that stuff just go boom down. And so what you first want to be looking at is thyroid and making sure you're optimizing thyroid and don't look at the lab values, which are garbage. I can't believe they haven't been revised yet. Work with a functional medicine doctor, get your thyroid dialed. Thank you. Oh my God. You can't balance hormones if your thyroid's not working well. You can't (laughs) Uh build muscle if your thyroid's not working well. So you got to have your thyroid working well. And that's usually the first thing that starts to happen is cortisol and thyroid get sideways before the other stuff. I just recorded a podcast with my nurse practitioner talking about thyroid, adrenals, and sex hormones. They're like the three legs of a chair for mitochondrial function, for anti-aging, for anti-disease. You have to optimize on those three hormone glands, basically because they have to work and they- Well, how do you build muscle if you don't have estrogen and testosterone? How do you burn fat if you don't have estrogen? Exactly. Hell yes. I'm so glad because I've been endorsing it all year long. I've been talking about that research that was just, it was so horrible for women's anti-aging because it just put out the wrong message. And so many women have now needlessly suffered. And now- Right. So so I'm so glad you're a big, big advocate for it. I will, now that's poor Suzanne, like I love Suzanne Summer. She was, she lived in Palm Springs. I got to go over to her house, just a wonderful person and got pushed a lot of great information out there. So yes, I will pick that up and run with it because I was just fortunate that my 50th birthday party was, I was surrounded by Dr. Sarah Gottfried, Dr. Anna Kaveka, Dr. Jen Lando. They all came to my, we had a girls weekend (laughs) Mm -hmm. and I've been on bioidentical since my hormones started to shift. I remember the minute that I noticed a thyroid issue and that was that and didn't have to worry about trying to convince someone that something was actually going on. I had all the symptoms. My thyroid, my TSH was 2.4. Mm-hmm. 
Do you like yours lower around like 1.5? Yeah. Well, I can tell you that prior to that, like my thyroid, my TSH had always been one to 1.5, always Mm -hmm. felt great. Then all of a sudden I was like, my hair started falling out. I lost Mm -hmm. my eyebrows and I'm like, I just was feeling a little weepy and icky. Test my thyroid, it's 2.5, 2.4. And so it was not my normal. But that's a normal range, right? Right. Like, and not for my doctors, normal. So like normal. Yeah, exactly. It's not, right. it's not so, optimal. It's not functional. So, And then still getting periods, but now they're irregular. I can't recover at the gym. I'm getting bleeding gums, mm-hmm. which I'd never heard about that one. I go to my dentist. He goes, that's an estrogen problem. I'm like, God bless you for knowing this. That go on a little estrogen, problem solved. You know, it's like, You've got to work with the people that understand when you're going through, when you're in perimenopause, try to dose to a lab test. The lab test is different every hour. How are you going to dose your hormones to a lab test? Look at your hormones, but look at your symptoms too and work with a doctor who knows how to work this. And then the other side of that is you've got to, there was ever a time that you've really got to focus on adrenal health. It is 40 plus I feel like we should be focusing on that in our 20s because we set ourselves up for failure. You know, you go to college, you have a high stress life of like studying and working. And I think we create these terrible, really bad habits where we're in sympathetic dominance all the time. And that carries us through our 20s and then our 30s. And then we hit our 40s and it's like, well, now we're in like adrenal dysfunction. Right. (laughs) Adrenal fatigue. And we're like, what happened? And it's like, well, you literally trained your nervous system to be high cortisol all the time. And so it's so important. It is getting A's in college to just like meditate and slow down and realize like your body wasn't meant to be drenched in cortisol and adrenaline all the time. And so I don't know if you would agree with that, but I just think we need to teach our kids and our young, like- I was just going to say, like, why 20 is like, what would happen if school, here would be my, if I was benevolent dictator, my (laughs) elementary school, you would learn biochemistry by learning how to make great meals. Yes. So you actually learn how to cook Mm-hmm. And you would learn math by learning how to understand money and investing and finance. You right. would learn about having great relationships. Mm-hmm. You would learn how to sleep well. You'd learn how to meditate. You would have like get exposed to so much different stuff. So you'd find exercise and activity you love for a lifetime. And think about how different things would be if you actually learn the skills that matter in life, like right. how to be a good friend, how to be a leader, you know, how to how to, our how to emotion. <laughs> Yeah. How to regulate our emotions, how to meditation. Like it took the pandemic and everything getting canceled for me to finally go, all right, you know what? And then unfortunately, Dr. Joe started back with his, Dispenza started back with his retreats in 2021. So I was like, cool, I'll do that. So, you know, it took till then for me to really, really get into that. And Mm -hmm. interestingly, kind of have a realization at like 58, 59, that I'd been living in flight or fight my entire life. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, yeah. and how many people are like that? And then you go, okay, no wonder my thyroid went sideways. Mm-hmm. No wonder. You know, it's right. like, how could it not? Right. 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 Cortisol is supposed to be a sprinter in our body. Right. And when we create it as a long distance runner, it is so inflammatory. It is so immunodysregulating. It's just so it's like, it's toxic. Like cortisol in small bursts are is fine, but we are just drowning in cortisol and it is so damaging on all our cells, our nerves, like all our tissues. And so Yes. I'm so glad that you said from young. Like It was very interesting. Back when I used to see people one-on-one, 
I would do adrenal salivary indexes in people, but it was rare to ever find the people that were still high cortisol. Occasionally see the person who was high cortisol at night, low in the morning. But for the most part, by the time they came over, they were just trashed, totally low. Because when they were high, they were like, this is great. Energy. <laughs> I'm like, this is not great. Or is that I've got, I'm getting belly fat, you know? Right. So it, which brings me to third pillar. So second pillar is the exercise and really understanding that walking is awesome. Don't count it as exercise. Get some real exercise in yeah. and get mad at me. I don't care. I don't care because it's like, it's not yeah. our job. It's just like the people out there saying you can be healthy at any size. No, I'm sorry. The research is not backing that one up. We cannot give people the information they want to hear because- right. 20, 30 years down the road, are you going to be the one saying, sorry, I just wanted to make you feel better in the moment? No, that's not fair. It's not fair. And people are smarter than that. So the other piece of this is is sleep. And I've always been kind of an obsessive sleep person. So sleep wasn't one. But when I met my husband, I met him on match at 52 years old. So I always say that because there's the statistics for women getting remarried and finding the love of their life at 50 plus, I think it had better statistics of getting hit by a car or something. Wow. It's ridiculous. It's totally possible. And in fact, when you date, when you're older, you actually know what you want. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, and you actually know an adult relationship. So it's even easier. Anyway, the only challenge with him was that he was not a good sleeper. He'd been stealing from sleep and getting by was five to six hours a night. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. So that changed. It was funny when we first got together and he started sleeping, he immediately dropped five pounds. Wow. And I'm not surprised because so much repair happens when we're sleeping and people don't know this, but the older you are, the more sleep you need. My husband is nine years older than me and he needs an extra hour of sleep than I do. So it's so important. The older we get, eight hours might not be enough. You might need nine. Yeah. It's like you need more protein. You need more sleep. You need, I think that we need to focus on more exercise, but also more recovery, like foam rolling or massages. We have cold plunge. We have a sauna. We yeah. have red light. Like Love it. You just It's high maintenance to be low maintenance when you age now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's amazing though. I mean, you're walking testimonial of like that all of these little things accumulate to the sum of your life and how you age. Every little decision. Yes. It's incredible. But here's the bigger decision of all of that, that I think is so cool. The most important thing is this is all of choice. And most of the things I've talked about, yes, it costs money to get a sauna and a cold plunge. Less than going on vacation though. So you can right. choose it, right? They're not as expensive as people think. Right. And you can set up a home gym, a really great home gym for 500 bucks or less. Mm-hmm. So these things are not expensive when you really look at them. But when you really look at these big needle movers, they aren't a big deal. They aren't expensive. But here's the biggest needle mover of all is the mindset piece of it because you get what you expect, right? Yeah. I mean, the, like there is so much out there to prove that piece. And there was a cool study done that showed that people who have a positive view of aging have seven and a half years more of quality life than people who don't. So I was like, that's a simple decision, a simple choice. Like when I saw that study, that's where I read that 59 and I go, this is cool. Perfect. This is coming into my 60th birthday. I'm going to get all fired up and make this the most amazing decade. So that's what I think we have to start with is what if wherever you are, you just go, okay, this is the point of the next best part of my life. Yeah, I love that. 
you know, your mindset can totally make or break you. We talk about that on the podcast all the time. Like mindset is truly number one. And also believing like what I see, the reason why we talk about self-sabotage all the time on the podcast, like why do people self-sabotage their eating or their healthy lifestyle habits? And I think a part of that, the mind piece is worthiness, right? Like you are worthy of being healthy. You are worthy of anti-aging. You're worthy of all these things. And I don't know if you see that with your audiences or people that you work with when they self-sabotage, but working on that worthiness component is can really make or break you. And so if we are self-sabotaging our healing, because like you said, these things are simple. We just tend to make up excuses. It's too expensive. It's too this. And you're like, it's not, it's cheaper than a vacation. And so when we take away all the roadblocks, why are we still getting in our way of doing the work? Right. And I have found, at least with my experiences, it's that that worthiness component. And so having a heart to heart with yourself and being like, okay, what is the root cause of my sabotage here? Why can't I set aside an hour a day for myself? Why do I use all my time into my spouse or my children? Like, why are they more worthy of my time? But I am not right. Because Mm -hmm. you learn this transactional love. My worthiness is me serving my family versus me serving myself. Whereas the best thing you can do for your family is actually take care of yourself because then you have more energy to take care of them. You show up as a better mom, as a better wife, as a better friend, you know? And so, so I'm really glad that you brought up that component, JJ. I never would have gotten what you just said had I not asked my audience a couple of years ago. I said, if you're not where you want to be in your health and your weight, why not? And I literally thought it was going to be like, I can't stop gluten or I can't stop Mm -hmm. sugar, right? And it was an open-ended question where they could just respond. And I'm like going, oh my gosh, novels come back Mm -hmm. because I'm not worth it. I don't feel worthy. I was like, whoa. Isn't it crazy? Wow. Yeah. That's a big one for women, I think, to unpack. That's when we do the soul work. That's like soul work of where did I pick up this story that I am not worthy, that my worth is me hemorrhaging my life force for everyone else except mm-hmm. myself. Because Well, we- it's why whatever I do is going to be around the whole concept of aging powerfully. Again, because as I started but- to look at it, we're losing muscle strength, but most of all power. But then I thought this really goes bigger than that. As I've been really bringing this message out and saying, put on muscle, the biggest thing I've heard from people, from women, not people, women, is they're worried about getting bigger. Mm-hmm. And I realized women think about it all our lives, like we celebrate being thin. We celebrate being small. We celebrate being petite. I was grew up six feet tall. I was six feet tall when I was 12. Mm-hmm. And my best friend was five feet tall. And I wanted to be her so badly because she was so small and cute. And I was so big. Same. I'm 5'11". <laughs> I know. And I don't and I say, and people go, you're so big. I go, don't call me big. I'm tall. I'm not big. And then I realized that is the core of the problem. We've been shrinking. Now is our time to stop the shrinking, to get strong, to get powerful, to step up, to show up, to talk, to speak up, right? Mm -hmm. If people could just see the power that they have within themselves, they would be in awe what your body is capable of. And when you have your mind and your soul on board too, like you can do amazing things. You can reverse disease. You can completely change the outcome of your future. Think of that power that you have in your hands. And if you apply all these things that JJ has just spoken about, what a magnificent life you can create for yourself. And so JJ, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I know you need to run. We will put in the show notes how people can get a hold of you. You guys go to jjvirgin.com and we'll put links to her social media and all the things. JJ, is there anything you want to say before we close up this podcast? 
I love this concept. So I'm going to throw this out there because I heard a guy talk about this. I go, this makes so much sense because when you look at what we just talked about, we talked about eating protein first and it might be hard. You've been used to eating a lot of carbs and now I'm going to tell you to eat protein first and you have to work a little bit on your digestion. But then you think about it and you go, yeah, but it's hard to deal with this increasing insulin resistance and maybe one day having to be on heart medication or diabetes medication. So you look at that and you go, you just got to choose your hard. Just like it might be hard to go, hey, I've been walking and now I'm going to have to lift heavy things and Mm. push. And that's going to have to be hard. But then you look at it and go, but yeah, what's hard? Having to call my husband or my kids to help me up off Mm -hmm. the chair or off the God forbid toilet is okay. You know, or going to sleep and getting that quality sleep versus like shortcutting your sleep so you can get more done and do more for your family. But then the next day you're screwed. You're so tired. So you've just got to choose your hard. Or getting a cancer diagnosis or dementia or Alzheimer's, like those things are hard. They're hard. But this is hard. The stuff I eat protein first, it's simple, lift everything <laughs> simple, sleep yeah. through the night, simple, but hard. But again, choose your heart. And we know which one is going to be the one that's worth it. A hundred percent. JJ, thank you so much for being on our podcast. This has been phenomenal. You are a powerhouse and a gift to this world. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Listeners, thank you for tuning in today. And we know you got so many valuable golden nuggets from this podcast because JJ Virgin is just so informed and so educated and has just helped hundreds of thousands of people. So again, thank you for being here. Thank you for listening to the Gutsy Health Podcast. We hope you enjoyed and learned a lot from this episode. For more updates, follow us on Instagram at Gutsy Health Podcast. 